You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, Combat Thresher is a prototype that's ripe for abuse. We've got six new deck lists in Modern and Pioneer. Then on the flashback, testing results with Third Path Iconoclast. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson coming to you from the frigid Twin Cities and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is joining us from the Middle East. He is caved in online. Daniel Schriever, what's going on, man? Hello, David. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. I'm sad to report that I have just been eliminated from the World Cup I played well, I gave my best, but I was soundly defeated. Uh, One of my friends said this is the first time the uh, United States has left the Middle East in a timely fashion. Oh my God. (laughs) I enjoyed that. A little anti-imperialist humor for the kids out there. (laughs) Yeah. I I am enjoying my once every four years check-in on the world of soccer slash football. I feel like it's an excuse for me to like dive in and learn more about the teams. And then I forget about them for the next three years, as is the American way. I think, yeah, in the American way, it's also like the Olympics, right? All of a sudden you hate the Danish uh, pole vaulter or whatever because they're going <laughs> to ruin the chances of this like Ohio farm kid uh, to do whatever. And, you know, <laughs> just watching the American sports press, right, which is just full of all these hot takers, right? That's how we process the uh, popular sports in America is. All these guys who don't really know that much about the sport and never really play just like pop off about what mm-hmm. the quarterback should have done or what LeBron James ought to have done. And so when they do it in soccer. It's just so ignorant because it's like, oh, you just express your opinions exactly as confidently of a sport you never talk about. And it's like, <laughs> oh, why aren't they playing this guy? What's the coach doing? It's like, <laughs> it makes you wonder what most of the media we process every day. <laughs> like, do these people know anything? The answer is no. Personally, I'm just leaning into that myself. I'm being that guy. I'm just living my best life because I'm surrounded by people who know even less about soccer than I do. So I can just like say things that sound informed and like, oh, they're, they're afraid to shoot. You know, this is the problem here. (laughs) 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 They have no choice but to listen to me. They can't contradict me. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful thing. So we have a big show today. We are going to talk about our latest topic for brewing which is the combat thresher a very interesting prototype card from the newest set and we are going to go over our results for our card from last week the third path iconoclast uh, a card we were very excited about so before we do that we need to do a little bit of housekeeping and the first thing we'd like to do is to welcome our newest patrons there are a bunch of them so a big shout out and thank you to benjamin n that guy 12 spencer h sam c and irl green creature (laughs) 
Um, yeah, thank you to all of you. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Just a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, the best way to do that is go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing and join at whatever level you want. And right now, right now, voting is live this week for our next monthly brew project. Yeah, absolutely. So our last episode, we had Mord plus Zach, that is Mana Symbol, joined by Brian Madden from the Serum Visions podcast. They went over all of the nominees. I think there were 14 in all. Got some spicy ones on there. I think Mord also made his little plea for patrons. I don't know if that's why we have so many patrons right now. <laughs> he said, why are you not supporting us? Why? Why? I don't know if that's why people have answered the call, but we do appreciate it. We're very happy to have all you here. Happy to see the Faithless family grow. Now, do we pick the 14th, like Bilbo Baggins style, because we think 13 is an unlucky number? Or like, how do we settle on the 14th? The 14 proposed cards. Or that's just a number that happened to be the number proposed by the people who had joined the patron at such a level that they got to recommend a card. Correct. Yes. It's a sacred number in our religion. Um, so it just happens to be 14. <laughs> it's been 14 for several times in a row. Yep. Bilbo Baggins, shout outs to him wherever he may be. <laughs> He's in the West, David. Probably about to be broken. <laughs> He's going to live forever. He's in the West. In the, uh, whatever the latest set is, Bibble Baggins is going to be like green and a blue for a 7-6 first strike trample haste that draws a card and ramps somehow when it comes to play. Oh, God. Is that coming up this year? My God. No, not this year. I mean, this year has yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I 26 days. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 2023, though. It's taking the Modern Horizon slot. Right. And so I think we should default expect it to be you know, about as disruptive as a Modern Horizons level set would be my prediction. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how they move product. I mean, you know, the postmodern format <laughs> requires a postmodern understanding of <laughs> understanding how to move product. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the... I mean, the format is just crazy. You go back and look at, like, I've been looking at old Pro Tours and the modern Pro Tours just... Looks so normal, like people just play a normal Just Guy control list where they like pay mana for all their spells against a birthing pod list where their opponents pay mana for all their spells, and you're just like, wow, this is looks like real Magic the Gathering played by human <laughs> beings. And then you watch MTGO and it's just like no one's paying mana for anything, and you're just like, oh yeah, it's <laughs> look what they took from us. <laughs> it's just is the stack empty? Is the stack empty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At any moment, it might not be. <laughs> oh, God. So, question, David. I mean, I've noticed that the numbers in the Pioneer Leagues on Magic Online have fallen from about 1,000 to about 600. This is probably because of the, the turning of the, the seasons for the regional championships. Season one wrapped up. We had you know our first set of RCs, I guess they're called, in the U.S. and Europe. And I believe uh, this past weekend was Canada and some other regions. So, that's basically done... RCQs are happening now for the second round of regional championships, but the format is no longer Pioneer, so I think attention has shifted. It's probably standard. Well, I guess every store can run their own format, but the RC itself will be standard. So I assume that's a reason why the numbers have fallen from 1,000 to 600. What do you make of that? Like, Do you feel like the enthusiasm for Pioneer is here to stay, or is it just going to be a seasonal thing? 
Yeah, I think the collective enthusiasm for Pioneer is never going to be high. There is a large degree of people. I mean, most of the the Magic Twitterati, of course, is just really sour, like miserable uh, humans. And those people are sour about all formats, but Pioneer maybe especially. And there are legitimate complaints about Pioneer. So some of those people, the more eloquent, make them reasonably eloquently. Um, I think it did expose people to how real of Magic Pioneer feels. Gabriel Nassif. The Hall of Famer, wonderful streamer, uh, nice guy. He was even saying like he has not been liking modern at all, and Pioneer to him feels like more of a brewer's paradise where he gets to tool around. Doomwake is the same way; he does not play as much modern anymore. He kind of made his name uh, coming up with a bunch of cool modern decks. Whereas other people, Aspiring Spike, right, like borderline toxic in how he describes Pioneer, uh, and this is a guy who's like famously positive and sort of a non-toxic personality loves modern uh loves magic and he's just really critical of the format and was really excited to stop playing it as he said and felt really like hemmed in by what you could and could not do so you know i think it's good to not force people to i think people want to play magic and when you have these locked in format requirements you sort of don't let people get to play Magic in the way that they like if they want to be competitive, right? They're forced to do lots of Pioneer if they don't like Pioneer. And then if you don't like to play Standard, right? And you and I remember when we were on the Watsi program, you know, you had to play Standard, I had to play Pioneer, and um, Damon played Modern, and we're like, we had to, right? That, that's what our job was. Mm-hmm. So when you make it like that, that, that is tough. So I think it's good to rotate through it. I do think people learned that they were actually... Lots of people liked it a lot more than they thought. And then the people that didn't like it, maybe they learned, okay, I have given it a fair shake now. And the problems that I thought were endemic to the format are, you know, in my mind, at least have been confirmed. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a very uh, temporary thing. I do think it opened a lot of people's eyes. And like I said, a lot of popular streamers like it quite a bit more than modern and have been expressing that and, and have been expressing it by how much they've been playing it. You've said previously that there's you know, two different paths for experiencing Pioneer. The one path, the path of the grinder, we could say is, okay, I've got a tournament coming up. I'm just going to pick one of the top decks or try a couple of them and see which one I like and just jam those same decks over and over again. Then there's the path of the brewer, which I assume this is how Aspiring Spike was at least hoping to approach it. I I didn't hear his comments on this, but on that path, I imagine... you might run into the situation where, oh, I want to do something and I feel like I can't for whatever reason because the tools are not there or it doesn't line up with the metagame. Whereas you may have a different reaction if you're just jamming the same decks against each other and you feel like, oh, this is boring. It's you know just people doing broken stuff against each other. Yeah, and I also think the people that were jamming the decks against each other found the, like, I think some of the legitimate, in my opinion, structural flaws of the format to be a little more glaring, for instance. I believe, uh, and someone can pull the numbers and correct me on if I'm wrong here, the play-draw disparity in Pioneer is the worst in terms of outcome of any of the modern Pioneer standard formats. Oh, is there statistics on that? Uh, in competitive REL, there is. Huh. Um, and someone pulled it once, and you know, I don't have it in front of me. So I, if I'm wrong, I, I do apologize. And if someone corrects us, we will post it to Twitter. But <laughs> I saw that there was a... Um, and it'll get way less engagement than the original claim. The, there is a there is a wide disparity, in my opinion, too wide of a disparity in all formats between play and draw. And I think it's fractionally, but it is worse in Pioneer. 
Um, and we've talked before. I've talked, you know, I wrote a whole long article about the first two turns are really scripted in Pioneer, like what you can and cannot do. And I think that is a lock piece that if you're not willing to do that, then you actually cannot brew. You know, so I've, I've proposed a lot of like goofy brews in our chat. I often don't play them because it's like, oh, if you aren't interact, if you aren't willing to interact with mana elf on turn one or have counterspell up on turn two or three uh, or have instant speed removal for a grease fang, you just are going to have terrible matchups against that entire spread because there's no proactive plan you can do that that beats them. And so that is that is a like all arching theme. If you can't interact with any of those decks, you aren't just period aren't going to have good matchups there. And so that you do must have those cards in your brew. The the clever thing you're doing where you're transmuting whatever on turn three into a crazy six drop on turn four, that's never going to be good enough against the just the locked in opening lines from some of these decks. Yeah, I mean you can see how that line of thinking, if you diagnose that as a problem, you might come up with free spells as the answer. You know, the format is getting more powerful, it gets more play draw dependence, so I need to break free of the mana system to allow free interaction. <laughs> Once you like go down that road, I mean, it's like, well, you got to give free spells to all the colors. That must have been some of the, the thinking behind MH2. They made a format that was sort of balanced against itself within like this very curated, you must play these 10 powerful MH2, not even archetypes, just cards. Pioneer's not there yet. No free spells. We haven't, we haven't crossed that barrier. Which I think makes the gameplay, in my opinion, so much better. Like when you actually get your opponent tapped out, now you can do your thing. Like there's an actual cost of tapping out. So I actually think it's much easier for good players to succeed in Pioneer, even though they piss and moan about it. Uh, Which is why I think Gabriel Nassif loves playing Pioneer Talks for all the time. Um, Because you actually, like if you get your opponent tapped down, you only, there's only a blue up. All they can play is Spell Pierce, right? You can decide to play around Spell Pierce or not. Like you don't have to worry about any other random series of cards that are all free. Oh, do they have subtlety? Oh, do they have solitude? Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely like a purer, fairer form of the game, but it does lead, I think, to more of that tempo blowout. You win the die roll and you just overwhelm the other person. Yes. With a few strategies, right? And for all the pissing and moaning about those strategies, they continue to not do that well at high REL events we i we've got we cycled through now four or five different decks that quote unquote desperately need a ban and none of those decks does that well (laughs) um so i think people really underestimate the churn uh, of pioneer they underestimate how decks can be exploited and i think they just choose not to search out possibilities even in the league we're going to talk about later when in one of the leagues i played i lost game one to mono green and they made like 50 mana on turn four and Rhett, who was like watching me play, was just like, oh, this deck sucks. Like, it's un- like how is this deck not banned? They just won game two and three. And it was like, stop pissing and moaning, dude. Like, <laughs> we didn't interact with them on game one. We deserve to lose. Like, you don't have to just whine about stuff. You can just win. <laughs> like, Barack Obama says, don't boo, vote, right? Like, <laughs> just build your deck differently. You don't have to be this, you're not this helpless, like, ag- agency-less person. Like, you can interact with everything that's being happening in the format. Oh, yeah. That's a good reminder. If you happen to be living in Georgia right now and you're listening to us, go go vote. Yeah, please vote. Important runoff election. <laughs> not, not for the brain damaged X running back either, Oof, Yeah, if, if you don't mind. <laughs> All right. So the state of Pioneer, I mean, we're going to keep exploring this. The card that we are brewing around today, we are going to be focusing on Pioneer. And again, that's part of the draw of the format is that 
whenever a new standard legal release comes out, so many of the cards are of interest. You can kind of imagine them for Pioneer, and it's much harder to do that for Modern. So that's why you know we, we find it much more fruitful to think about the application of these cards in Pioneer. But we'll keep an eye on Modern as well. We'll try to pick the cards that have some applications in both formats. This week, the lucky card is Combat Thresher. Combat Thresher, part of the prototype cycle. It's a 7-mana artifact creature construct, 3-3 double strike. When Combat Thresher enters the battlefield, draw a card. But because it's a prototype, it's really two cards in one. And as I said before, these are essentially MDFCs. There are very few shenanigans involved with them. You can simply play it as a small version, and it's like a totally different card. It's a 1-1 double strike. ETB draws a card. Its mana cost is then 2 and a white. The usual rules interactions apply where you can play it as the small side. For 3 mana, you can blink it and it will come back as the big side. What is interesting about the Combat Thresher, or what's unique about it, I should say, is that among all the prototypes, this is the only one that actually really rewards you for being blinked, rewards you for cheating with it, we might say. Almost all the other prototypes have some kind of you know special clause, like you need to cast them in order to get the big effect or something like that. So Combat Thresher is different. We can blink it. Mord will be very happy. You know, he can put this in his ephemerate deck. <laughs> uh, but that's not enough in itself, right? I mean, three mana for one, one double strike that you can blink. Uh, is that a, a brew round card? Well, I'm not sure. So that's kind of the question, David. What do you think about, what do you see when you see a Combat Thresher? So first of all, double strike is just an exploitable ability, right? We know that any pump effects, any way to increase power, you get a lot more out of it, putting lifelink on a creature with double strike. So that, there's always something there. Now, there's been a bunch of three mana, two, two double strike cards that have been printed. Typically, it's one white, white, right? For a two, two double strike. And if it's um, from the second Mirrodin set, that creature is pro green and pro black. And then the other one, I think, had like revolt. It gets a plus one, plus one counter at the end of turn. And then one was a warrior that like gave double strike to another warrior when it came into play. Um, I might be missing. I mean, those are the three that are coming to mind. But there's, 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 a, you know, we could go on. And on. There's, there's probably a couple more. Well, you're making me realize that none of those cards really see widespread play. So maybe we, maybe we just don't know how good double strike is. Like the only double strike card that I can think of having recently seen it in play against me is Fury, um, and that's like not bad. You know, three three double strike is not bad. But like the other ones you're mentioning, Phyrexian or Mirror and Crusader, um, that random one from Khan's block, <laughs> the warrior one. Yeah. Like, yeah, we don't right. play those cards. Like you just, they're usually not priced for constructed. Yeah. Mirror and Crusader is probably the only one. It saw cyborg play in like hate bears list. It was very good when Jund was very good. Uh, cause it was re resistant to removal, but the resistant to removal is sort of in my mind, equivalent to drawing a card, right? So none of them had a come into play ability. And what we learned is that a three, three, no matter how powerful is really limited, you know, very gated in how powerful it can be if it doesn't do something when it comes into play. So the only one that we listed that saw any play at all in modern and modern six years ago was much more powerful than pioneer today, uh, was resistant to removal. So functionally it didn't, you weren't punished, right? It was a cyborg card. It wasn't a main deck card typically. So this is a card that at least doesn't get punished by removal, okay? Your opponent can fatal push it. That's always going to be good. But at least you're up a card in that exchange. And that's that's the baseline for something, right? So against removal heavy decks, this is a two for one. It is a card they need to kill because double strike is threatening. 
Um, but it's a card that we don't get punished for it being killed because it draws a card. That's the main draw to me is like the default mode is not that bad. If we can, a famous NBA player was asked about the uh, <laughs> nets and said, hey, the players should come here. It's not that bad. So that's that's the baseline wow. of Combat Thresher. Well, okay. So here's a question it's for you. It's not that you. bad. If we compare Combat Thresher to previous three drops or two drops that just you know draw a card so they're not that bad. Like, this is not as good as some of the other options, right? Or is it? Like, I'm thinking of cards like, uh, gosh, Rogue Refiner, Band and Standard, um, Wall of Omens, Wall of Blossoms, Ether Channeler. We had a week on that. I mean, these are, if you just want to have a body that draws a card, you have options. So I don't, I don't know how a Combat Thresher stacks up there, but I feel like it can't just be for that reason. Agreed. I think the fact that this is a card that's actually threatening, though, cards that just draw cards are only good if you can accrue a bunch of value. And what we found with Ether Chandler is that value doesn't matter. The format, as we just described, is very tempo positive. So this is a card that actually trades much more effectively. If you have any power uh, booster at all, it becomes much more threatening. Um, if you have a way to grant it lifelink, obviously there's another prototype you could play with it that grants it lifelink. Um, it is an artifact, which is relevant. So I think it's much better. First of all, the the walls you named are not playable. They're not legal Pioneer cards. Sure. I think it's much better than other Chandler because other Chandler is good at a thing that you cannot do in Pioneer. You can't just make like a grindy value deck. And the other one, the green-blue card, there is no energy list. And without an extra use for energy, I think this is actually better than that as well. Right, right. And that's just the front side. I'm not even factoring in that at some point late in the game you draw it and this card is, you know, very powerful if you just happen to have seven mana. Yeah. Yeah, so of course the, you mentioned it's an artifact, so there's a whole realm of potential synergies there. We can pump it and see if we get paid off for the double strike. Yeah, we can get the backside either by paying seven or by blinking or who knows, reanimating. We can definitely make that happen. There's room to explore, but I think it's good to sort of figure out what is what the baseline is and what we need to exceed. Yeah, and then even in uh, modern, I mean, you're joking about it, but Ephemerate is white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this wants us to play white lands. And there is a whole, you know, series of cards related to artifacts. Uh, Ingenious Smith, uh, Stoneforge Mystic, they pay you off for having Ephemerate and white cards. And this is another card with Stoneforge Mystic. It holds equipment very well, so... Um, yeah, I, I think this card is never going to be insane, but I think it's going to be good. Well said. The perfect Faithless Brewing card. So <laughs> Exactly. And it draws a card. It draws a it card. Draws a it card. can never be that bad. <laughs> It'll help you beat Jund. <laughs> That's what we're looking for, really. Exactly. Right. So let's start in Pioneer. We got, it looks like, five lists that you prepared for us here, and some you've already tested. So the first one looks like it's in Bant's colors, and I see the card Teleportation Circle, which is a three and a white enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you get to blink either an artifact or a creature. It comes back right away. Yeah, so my genesis with this card is actually quite long. So you had said when this card was spoiled, we don't ever want to really brew around this card because isn't it just worse than um, there's a four-mana god that blinks? creature so you said you have to really want to blink an artifact specifically so that's just like that statement from you we're never going to talk about this card unless there's an artifact we want to blink specifically so that's just like stuck in the back of my head hmm. and then i played against somebody 
maybe it was LA 111, and he played a Asika's Chariot, and then he crewed up and attacked, and then, you know, whatever, I chump blocked or something, and then he blinked it with um, Charming Prince. And I was like, oh, because we had also built a deck like that. And, was, and I remember Damien had played and didn't think it was that good. And as soon as he blinked, I was like, well, I can't win now. There's just like 15 power in play. And I was like, oh, Chariot is an artifact we can blink every turn. That is an artifact, specifically an artifact. I don't have to ever worry about crewing it up. I can always make sure it's immune to push. This is when Red Black was very good. So that like just was like, wow, those two cards together just beat, just, just goes over the top of every uh, mid-range list. No one is playing K-Command at this time. Um, so I had built a list right around that, and we had tried an updated version with Ether Chandler, and I didn't think Ether Chandler was very good, and the list felt very medium. So I had played a version of this with the Thresher. The thing about Thresher is it's another card that keeps our draws smooth. It's another um, draw effect with Teleportation Circle because we're already playing cards like Prophetic Prism, which aren't super powerful. Um, there's actually a lot of tokens worth blinking. So we were playing four Portable Hole, four Ingenious Smith, um, four Renowned Weaponsmith. At the time, I was playing more green for my ramp. I realized, what if the only green card I want is a Seeker's Chariot? So everything else is blue and white, and we are playing a very light green splash, so we take way less damage. The Prophetic Prisms also help us cast our Seeker's Chariot. I realized I hated the, the five mana. We were playing the, the Gear Hulk, the green Gear Hulk. Bouncing that was actually really tempo negative, because often you wanted to put the... When it came into play, you wanted to pump it up so it could be effective blocker, but then you'd like lose that counter again. So I didn't like that. And I finally kind of got clearance to play all the sky, um, the council flagships I wanted because people had finally adopted this card. So I was like back on multiple of those. Yeah, the deck just like ran really smooth. Um, I ran through a league, I went 3 2. And the only losses I had were two mana screw. I was playing 20. Three lands with a glass pool mimic. So I just added an extra land and added an extra cantrip. Um, yeah, I'm just going to basically run it as is here. So the the Thresher is another artifact. So our Ingenious Smith is more likely to hit. It's another great target for Teleportation Circle. Yeah, it's it's just a really nice card. It has two colorless pips in it. So it's actually really easy to cast with Renowned Weaponsmith if it lives. Like you just, the Smith pays for all the colorless pips at once. And if you, for whatever reason, have a bunch of renowned weaponsmiths in play, you just, you can cast it for the full boat sometimes. You just, seven mana, three, three, double strike. Yeah, renowned weaponsmith, the most intriguing card in this list for me. It's one in a blue for a one, three artificer. It taps for two mana that you can use only toward artifact spells or abilities. It also can search up some random limited card. You described how powerful it was to play like Weaponsmith on two into Sky Sovereign or Gear Hulk on three. I'd actually tried that list during our Ether Channel our week. Um, it was very impressive, but I, I did feel like I, we were we were near the bare minimum number of artifacts to justify putting Weaponsmith into the deck. Now Brothers War is an artifact set. Um, I'm wondering if we should just like take another look at Weaponsmith. I mean, here, for starters, with the Combat Thresher, that's a beautiful synergy, but with any prototype, potentially, or with Surge Engine or anything like that, like there's got to be a lot more mana sinks, and it's just such an explosive play to go Weaponsmith into anything that's an artifact that costs, well, I was going to say five, but even just Weaponsmith into Combat Thresher plus something else. 
Yeah, it's also worth noting, I didn't even realize this. I'll just admit how stupid I am until I was like playing one, maybe my second league. The prophetic prisms actually filter this mana for you <laughs> into real mana. <laughs> Interesting. Which turns it into like just a normal ramp spell. So let's say you play Weaponsmith on two, your opponent doesn't kill it for some reason. You play Prophetic Prism and then you, whatever, draw your third land and then you play your uh, Thresher. Then the next turn you can, if you don't have artifacts in your hand, you can filter a land through the Prophetic Prism using the Weaponsmith to cast like a teleportation circle. Let's say you're stuck on three lands. Uh, which happened a lot. Like, yeah, it, it happened a surprising amount of times. So you made a note that you'd played multiple Mightstone Weakstones in, in your previous draft, and the card did not impress, but you're still giving one copy a chance. I mean, what have you found for Mightstone Weakstone so far? So you don't have that much use for the extra mana, is the main problem. Um, and a lot of the permanents you want to hit are not creatures, right? So it's a little bit better at killing creatures. Well, not a little bit. It's, it's much better at killing creatures than the sky sovereign but it doesn't actually end the game so this deck like does a good job stabilizing then you need to like end the game before your opponent does whatever the crazy thing is that wins and sky sovereign is much better at doing that right you mm. it puts an extra body into play it hits a blocker it might be that i just like played worse matchups or whatever but i basically i had i think i had two of each and then i ended up siding out a might stone both might stones in, in every in all five <laughs> matches that i played um <laughs> So does that mean there should be zero? Probably. I, I just, I don't like abandoning a card just because you play like one league where all the matchups are bad, but like you don't want it against mono green. You do want it specifically against red black, but that's like the the matchup you're best at. Like you, you basically can't lose. They'd have to have like an uncontested shieldred and you have to just flood or, or miss land drops. So it's like, it's really good. It's, you know, it's great against them, but like, so what? And then what else is it good against? It's okay against mono white but like is it really that good i mean <laughs> it's not that good well i've had a devil of a time killing shield red lately so the fact that my stone stone does it once and then with the teleportation circle just does it over and over again that's attractive to me yeah but i'm just saying that's exactly my thought process like oh this kills shield red but it turns out like shield doesn't doesn't matter um you just blink chariot every turn and they just lose like you're going up two tutus and they're going up a couple of life that's if you're doing nothing else. Um, you just kill them. <laughs> I... So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep the one in. Like you say, it does kill Shieldred. It it, um, it does draw two cards a turn if you're blinking, right? So against, like, control, it's, it's the best thing to blink. They can't kill. Like, if you're trying to bounce a creature, they can kill it at instant speed if that becomes a target. And this isn't that. So I'm leaving it as a one. Um, but, yeah. Okay. If someone said, I want to play a bunch of Sky Sovereigns instead, or whatever, more interaction or something, I, I would not be mad at them. I think that's a reasonable take. Excellent. I like to look at this list a lot. Excited to see how, uh, how we can keep tuning it. So our next list is Blue-White, and this is one that you wrote about in uh, your kind of first drafts. We posted this on faithisbrewing.com a couple of weeks ago where I think you were just going through some initial concepts. You'd identified a series of cards that could fit into this blue-white Tezzeret shell. Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh from Neon Dynasty. It has three good at loyalty abilities plus a static ability that generates mana. So we spent a week on this early in Neon Dynasty season, and the card really hasn't lived up to our expectations at least. 
like the promise is still there. I just feel like we didn't quite crack it. So this list you put together here in blue white, I feel like it's it's on the right track to really make a breakthrough. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I like am borderline obsessed. This card just seems so powerful to me. But I think part of it is our love of value is <laughs> is has been causing us to misuse it. Because I keep imagining like a four mana planeswalker that plus ones to draw two discard one is so far ahead of the curve of what any other four mana planeswalker in the format does. Like Soren is probably the best four mana planeswalker, and it pluses to draw a card and do damage to you. Right, that's just so much worse than draw two, discard one, plus a static. But so I think we kept our eye. I'll blame myself. I won't say we. I kept trying to put it in like these mid range shells where you like powered out with your artifact acceleration and then you use this like value card. The problem is you'd have all these, all this air in that deck. And so it actually wasn't a good value proposition because you'd go long, but your deck would have like moon snare prototypes and things like that in it or like patchwork automatons, but not enough artifacts to trigger it or whatever. Yeah, the previous iteration that I remember playing, it, it had a lot of clue generation, specifically tireless trackers and Thraben inspectors. But actually winning the game was, I mean, there was no answer really. It was like, okay, we'll put some wandering emperors in and hope that that wins. It sort of worked, but you know, it felt like we were, <laughs> that was the last priority was winning the game. And maybe we should have made it more of a priority. Yeah, and then you know, I had a previous version before that where I was playing just blue-white uh, without any green and was just relying on Wandering Emperors and like various artifacts. And then we had a version before that, uh, right when that set came out, which was very good, but it had four main deck Karn in it. And Karn was basically the way that we'd win the game. And again, you had all these value propositions, but you weren't actually controlling deck, right? Your your permission, if however many rebukes you're playing, that gets worse as the game goes on. But you want the game to go on a long time because you're setting up this Tezzeret Plus to be so good. And then even the Tezzeret Ultimate is more value, right? So true. what would normally happen is I'd ultimate Tezzeret and my opponent would just throw down. But there wouldn't actually be like lethal damage on the board, which is sort of like how you and I like to win. But that's also how you lose games where you're way ahead, right? Where you say on turn five, like, man, I'm way ahead. And then it's like, oh, you just drew a couple blanks. Your opponent drew a Shieldred or something. You couldn't deal with it. And now you're, you're losing this game where you've seen like 12 more cards than your opponent. So all right, we've diagnosed maybe what I was doing wrong. One of the things I thought is, what if the draw plan is just a backup plan and the static and the minus are really what we want, right? So we're very tempo focused. The card that would really intrigue me, I think, and you as well, is Combat Courier, right? It's a one mana, one, one, and it's a functionally a clue. You can sack it without having to tap it to draw a card. And then it comes back, it unearths for a blue, and then sacks again. So that increases our artifact density because I did want to play Patchwork Automaton, which is a good body to absorb the 4-4 uh, from Tezzeret because it is resistant to removal. We've talked about how much we like that ward too. Combat Courier is a way to like play a bunch of clues that still count as artifacts for Patchwork Automaton. Yeah, it's not. It's two clues actually. It's it's not just one clue. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Two clues. Yes, right. Two clues in a trench coat. I like to call this card. And you can even do the thing where you like bring back combat courier for a blue, make it a 4-4 with Tezzeret, attack, right? Your opponent can take four or not. And then you can just sack it for free with the Tezzeret ability. Um, so it's like threatening, right? It's a threatening play. Yeah, and that may seem impossible, but there's, there's a really quirky interaction where Tezzeret static checks for the first activated ability from an artifact you control. And the phrase you control means it only sees artifacts that are already in play. So that means that unearthing the combat courier, since that was not in play, that was in your graveyard, that does not count 
against your Tezzeret static. So you still have the static available for sacrificing the combat courier after you unearth it. And that's very, very cool. Yeah, and then combat courier is just a body that sticks around, so it makes your Springleaf drums better. It makes your Moonsnare prototypes better. Before we were playing Thraben Inspector, which I was really liking. Um, but this is an artifact, so it triggers Patchwork Automaton. And then I now we have enough artifacts to play Patchwork Automaton. And then we also get to play the Thresher. So the Thresher is another artifact. So are we going to keep our artifact density high so our Tezzeret Plus is threatening? The 1-1 one, one that draws a card, that's good. And then it's a body that, again, absorbs a 4-4 from Tezzeret very, very well. Yeah, um, that's exciting. 4-4 four, four double strike. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that, that ends the game very quickly. And then we also have um, Ingenious Smiths now because our artifact density is so high from Combat Courier. In fact, I, I even have a note here. I think you should only play two Inspectors and play the full four Smiths. Oh, two, three, but Inspector, four, Ingenious Smith. Yeah, okay, we can we can make that change. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that's what you want to do. And the more I look at it, the more it seems like obvious. And maybe you could even turn the second Thraben Inspector into another Surge Engineer, Reckoner, Bankbuster. You have to maybe run the math on that a little bit. But but Surge Engine and Reckoner, Bankbuster are, again, like tempo-positive cards that we can turn into this, like, card advantage engine liking, but we don't have to. Sometimes we're just going to get there, right? We're going to make our surge engine unblockable, turn it into a 4-4 four, four for free with, uh, or very cheap with Tezzeret in play, and then Tezzeret minus twos to turn Patrick Automaton into a 4-4 four, four with a couple plus one plus one counters on it. And now all of a sudden we have this like, we're very tempo positive. We have Metallic Rebuke, which pays us off for having all these cheap artifacts in play, portable hole, clues, etc. Um, so that that's a very, again, tempo positive counter spell. And then if it all fails, yes, Tezzeret can be a grindy card advantage engine if they draw their sweeper in time, etc. Um, so yeah, this is kind of like a rethinking of how to use Tezzeret. Also, not trivial, we have four Articar Wastes, so our mana's way better. We're much more likely mm. to have untapped blue and white. Like, I'm not playing any of the um, the slow duels like I was having to do before. So we're going to tap out every turn. We have no come into play tap land. Our, our entire uh, deck is all colored mana, so... Worth keeping in mind that... Tezzeret's plus one, I mean, you do have to have a certain density of artifacts. So I think that it is important to like keep in mind, I do need to hit, what, like 20 artifacts in the deck, something like that. That's roughly where we're at right now. Actually, no, we're higher than that. We are at 25 artifacts. And I think that's where you want to be for both Ingenious Smith and Tezzeret's plus one. And again, the combat carrier having unearth is just perfect for Tezzeret. You just plus one if you have to draw two discard a combat courier. Beautiful stuff. I almost just want to play the full four Tezzeret. Like, why not let these interactions have their day in the sun? Yeah, I, just in general, I don't love playing more than three of a four-mana legend. Like, I, I I have found that they can get sucked in. At the same time, Tezzeret has a discard ability, so maybe that's less of a problem. Then you're discarding two, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, so I think this is the list that I'm most excited to start with. Um I just want to see the combat carrier do its thing. Do you think you want to play an artifact land here, Dan? That was a question that I had. Like, if you go to the Force Smith, maybe you want an artifact land. The problem is if you ever tap the artifact land to cast your Tezzeret, then it, the artifact ability has already been used for that turn. But maybe that's just fine. Maybe that's like a super corner case that I worry about too much. Gosh. Well, so you're thinking like one artifact land. I play I play one indestructible land again. It's another great body for the Tezzeret minus two as well. Okay, so one Dark Seal Citadel. Yeah, I think that's worth it. Yeah, so I think maybe this mana base 
I'd cut an island for Darksteel Citadel, and I cut a planes for the um, the Cave of the White Dragon or whatever, Frost Dragon. I would actually love to just go up to 23 lands. I know you have 21 right now with four prototypes, two Springleaf drums, but if I ever miss a land drop, I'm going to be like cursing the day I put these quote-unquote accelerants into the deck. I think 23 lands is just safer. And if you want to meet in the middle, 22. We'll start with 22. Yeah, so you could just add an artifact land and then replace one of the lands with a, um, yeah, like cut a Springleaf drum, add an artifact land, and then play Cave of the Frost Dragon. Okay. Yeah, so Ingenious Smith will increase the land count as well. I mean, maybe, you know, Black Man, Blue, White, and Soul was still a deck. That was a key part of, of their mana base, right? Ingenious Smith, and they played, what, how many Darksteel Citadels? And then they had in Soul Artifacts you could put on the Darksteel Citadel. Like, in Soul Artifact works with Combat Thresher as well. Yeah, I think the sort of... You certainly could build that deck. I don't know if you want Combat Thresher, though. It just seems so slow. Mm. Like, what you really want to be doing is casting the 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 White Saga that pumps and the enchantment and then the blue artifact that taps to basically the same thing. All that stuff in a very tempo-positive way to maybe attack on turn two for four or five, right? You're crewing up your Ornithopter. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of splitting the difference. We're still very tempo-positive, but uh, you, you aren't locked in on that, right? The A few removal spells really beat that deck easily, and I don't think this deck is very soft to, like, trying to one-for-one removal it because we have multiple cards that draw when they come into play, multiple cards that draw when we sacrifice them. And then Patrick Automaton is actually hard to kill. So I, I think we're like much more resilient to like Red Black, which which weirdly owned uh, Blue White, uh, the version you're talking about. Huh. All right. So we started with Bant Blink. This is Blue White Tempo. The next list looks like we're moving into Black, White Black. Yeah. So this is the mid-rangiest of the list. Um, so we're playing... 24 lands, white, black, and it's it's all just like quote-unquote normal cards here. Four Thoughtseize, four Push, four Thraven Inspector. Four Charming Prince, that's the big one here. And um, we're playing four Thraven Inspector because we are playing four Charming Prince just to make Charming Prince good at all phases of the game. Two Vanishing Verse, it's just very good removal spell right now. Four of Fiends Informant, I just think in general this card is great. Um, it's very tempo positive. We have... The push Thoughtseize duality, so there's value to discard the kind you don't want, right? Discard uh, Thoughtseize against Mono White, discard push against Blue White Control. We know that. Then we have eight prototypes. So we have the Thresher and we have Flesh Gorger, um, two Graveyard Trespasser. Then we have three Refurbish and then one Sky Sovereign. I think Refurbish is just great. It's great with Rafine's Informant if we need to like turbo out one half of the other. And it's great because one of the reasons these cards, you know, you kind of flag, you weren't that big a fan of is like, okay, I play my Flesh Gorger. And as you pointed out, all right, I kill it. Kill for one mana. It's like, I don't care if I pay three life. Well, you do kind of have to kill a three, three lifelink if you're trying to race it, right? Red, black, can't just leave it in play, right? It loses that race. So they will kill it. Fair enough. That means it's just right on curve for us to just play refurbish that turn and refurbishing this into a seven, five is asking for an insane... I mean, we haven't drawn any cards, right? We've just played card for card. They played a removal spell. We played a creature. We've put another creature into play. They can kill it again. They have a few cards that do that, Dreadbore, etc. They've just paid 10 life to just go card even with us. I mean, it's just an insane amount of life, especially in a format where there's lots of shock lands. And same with the uh, the the Thresher, right? It's a, it's a double strike creature. 
will they kill it or not? We can block and trade with it and then you can just refurbish it back. Obviously, Charming Prince is a, is a great line with these prototypes. And then Rafine's Informant, Thraybit Inspector, Graveyard Trespasser, and even a Crewed Up Sky Sovereign all uh, have come into play triggers. So it's just a very, very fair, but very interactive uh, mid-range deck. I don't hate having a Phyrexian Flesh Gorger in play, like 7-5 Menace Lifelink with some more. Obviously, that's, that's fun to have in play. I just personally don't want to work that hard for it. But the way you've put this list together, you're actually you're not working that hard for it. You're content to play it on three because you're not really in a rush. But yes. you have you know enough effects that you're you're reasonably going to get that seven five and play a good chunk of the games, whether that's the charming prince blink, refurbishing it after they kill it, or refurbishing it after you've discarded it to your Rafine's informant. So I think that's pretty elegant the way that that's set up. It's like a natural part of the curve that, oh, I've got a top end built in, but I didn't have to put in any like ramp cars or anything like that. Yeah. So you have like this, you have this solid late game in mid-range matchups, but you don't play any expensive cards, right? We have three, four drops and a five drop. So our deck is actually very interactive. It's very low to the ground. You're never going to have these expensive cards stuck in your hand. But if the game goes long, as you said, these are split cards. So, like, I get to play my MD. If I'm flooded, I just play Flesh Gorger the seven drop, whatever, if we're trading resources in our red black, you know, mirror or whatever. Now, here's a question for you about Rafine's Informant. We've seen this card get adopted as a staple for of in like Abzan Greasefang, for example. However, I was looking at results from the past week and I noticed a few different lists had cut the informants. They played Professor of Symbology instead. The lesson learned mechanic, you know, that, that has that loop built in. So if you're just trying to put Parhelion in the graveyard, Symbology does that just as well as Kanaev does. You just won't get the 3-2 body ever. You'll be stuck with a 2-1 body. But in exchange for that, you have the option to occasionally grab a lesson. Environmental Sciences, and I think in the Abzan list they were playing like maybe one of the Disenchant effects. Uh, I forget. They were playing three random lessons. They weren't playing Mascot Exhibition, the 7-drop. Oh, okay. I'm curious if like if Professor actually gives us some optionality that this deck might want more than it wants a 3-2. Because you could just directly swap symbologies in for Rafine's informant and then get access to um those like the land ramp. Not ramp, sorry. <laughs> the sciences or whatever else. Not, not, not ramp. ramp. But you know, if you're just trying to hit land drops to get up to you know your full price prototypes or whatever, it's something. Yeah, so it's an interesting point. I actually started this list with the full 12. So I had four Rafine's Informant and four Professor of Symbology and four Charming Prince and then four Refurbish. And I was almost like, we had the option to like play our guy on three and then blink it with Prince. But we were also like almost like a turbo loot mm. to put the the creatures in the graveyard. But I, yeah, I just have not liked Professor of Symbology every time I've played it. The I don't care at all about the lessons. I think for Abzan, the thing is like, oh, my opponent's going to sell out so hard to attack my graveyard that this fair plan is actually going to be much better. Um, but the three powers actually relevant because it crews Sky Sovereign here. Yeah, it, it might be correct. I, I can't say that it's wrong, but I just have not been impressed by the Professor of Symbology. And I could imagine going back to sort of what I said, like maybe a less interactive deck that was all in on like the Turbo Region plan, but I'd have to play with this list first before I decide that that's necessary. I think we're interactive enough that we don't need to sort of go all, all in on that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. No, I mean, symbology is slow for sure. And two ones kind of suck in Pioneer. That was my my main takeaway from Arcane Proxy Week is, God, this body is useless. Three, two is definitely much better if we can pull that off. 
All right, so that is a black-white mid-range uh, with some prototypes. Next up, we're back in blue-white. We've got a blink theme going on, but we're going about a slightly different way. So no teleportation circle here. Yes, the Charming Prince. Instead, we have the four Charming Prince and two of a kind of forgotten blink spell called Hallowed Respite. It's blue-white sorcery, exile target non-legendary creature, then return it immediately to the battlefield under its owner's control. If it entered under your control, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. Then you can flash it back for three. So it's sorcery speed, so it's not going to be saving anything from removal or anything like that, but it can give you some value. You could potentially tap an opponent's blocker. I forgot to mention that part of the card. So that's your blink package, but what are you doing with it here? Yeah, so one of the things I liked in my post-board games for the, the first list that we talked about, we've got this huge sideboard where we bring in like Malevolent Hermit and all this stuff to try to be disruptive against control because we know that blinking you know, control decks are not that impressed by casting our four mana teleportation circle and then the next turn we're casting our, um, our chariot. So the sideboard plan was to bring in Hermits, but I didn't realize how good Hermit was with blink effects. So you play it on two or three. And then it's so good against Blue-White because it's not like Mystical Dispute because you hold that in your hand, it just gets worse, right? They Okay, they don't play into it. They they just keep playing lands and they cycle their Shark Typhoon and whatever. Play their uh, Wandering Emperor, which is in blue. Malevolent Hermits in play attacking them every turn, right? And so it's going to trade for a card or it's going to kill them. And then the backside you cast from your graveyard, that allows your non-creature spells to resolve. That's not that important. But if we have a blink effect, we just reset back to Hermit again. So we're back on that disruptive plan. And then if they kill Hermit, we still get to disturb again. So you're you're like getting a three for one almost, where they have to deal with this card or trade for the counterspell effect or not. And then we it comes back, so that's our two for one. We get a two-two. That allows our non-creature spells to resolve. And then if we would rather have the Hermit side, we just put Hermit back into play. And then we get to trade again. Uh, with, with with whatever effect. And so I, I'm even playing Denik because I was so impressed with that. Denik is another card with Disturb. It happens to interact very favorably against Greasefang. Um, so you just, you're just you playing main deck hate against Greasefang. That is also reasonable against aggro. Oh, because Denik says cards in graveyards cannot be targeted and Greasefang targets. Yes, exactly. Yep. Okay. So we're so this is like a very analogous to like hate bears and modern circa like 2015, which you and I both hated, Dan. But let's not let that color uh, what we're doing here because this deck is super disruptive because we're playing main deck Thalia, main deck Malevolent Hermit uh, with Denik, and then we have Extraction Specialist, which is even better than it would normally be here because we have Malevolent Hermit, which naturally puts itself in the graveyard, and every deck has non-creature spells, including the like mono green or whatever it's like oh the ramp deck it's great against the ramp deck and then thresher is just a value card that obviously replaces itself it's amazing with hallowed respite because it turns into a 4-4 double strike and then the rest of our blink effects they're not just waiting around for the thresher because we have you know removal spells on a stick reflector mage skyclave apparition and then we have these disruptive elements like i was describing someone in that league played uh, containment priest main deck against me uh, a few days ago and it got me pretty good. They they played it in response to my Fable Chapter 3 trigger, and turns out that when the Fable exiles and comes back, Containment Priest just swallows it up. 
<laughs> now I'm wondering if like you could incorporate that, you know, play all four of the Hell of Respite because now you can just like straight up terminate your opponent's creatures with the Containment Priest. Yeah, the problem is you have to know that their creatures are better than yours because it disrupts your plan. You can't blink your own creatures while that's happening. Ah, uh, true. Because it's a symmetric effect. And when they used to design cards correctly, when you had to like think about cards, it was it's a symmetric effect. <laughs> like Thalia, if they designed it today, because they're so afraid of all these morons on Arena, they'd only let it affect their opponent. That's that's what a modern day containment priest would be like. Yeah, I'm just realizing that Charming Prince actually can't hit your opponent's creatures. That's a shame. Yeah. All right. Never mind. <laughs> I thought about. I've, I had built when when Containment Priest was main deckable was when Winota was good because it just beat Winota by itself. And so I had played around with shells like that for a while. So it's definitely something I've thought about. It's and it's really it was it's really good at that time because it was good against the Fable and Winota. Yeah. So the concern I would have about this deck, it's not with the selection of creatures. All the creatures are strong. You get a lot for your mana. That line with disturbed creatures, getting them back from the graveyard as many times as you want. I think that despite not really having card draw per se outside of the combat threshold, you have tons of stuff to do. It's just a little bit slow out of the gate. There's not much happening on one. There's a lot happening on two and three, especially when you factor in um, the backside of Malevolent Hermit. So I'm wondering if I just need to like adjust my expectations. Like This, this deck is not going to roar out of the gates. It's just going to be a little more of a mid-range deck. Yeah, exactly. So I think this deck is kind of taking the role of like what Mono White is doing. But instead of being an aggro deck that's really weak to removal, this is a little more disruptive. And because it's more disruptive, it can go later into the game. And then it trades for the fact that it kills much slower. So we just have to see if like that fits into the the format very well. Because like Mono White loses very badly, very badly to Red Black. Just cannot beat it. So my theory is we're making our deck slower, but much more resilient against a deck like that. Yeah, it's interesting because the strength of Mono White is that you know you can just run people over, and by turn three or four, like they they have no chance of blocking or defending. And this deck will never do that. No. By turn four, you've got a couple two twos and three two threes, and maybe a three two in play. Yeah. Right. And so yeah, it's more of an experiment in in that space because yes, the Mono White deck has a great mono green matchup and is okay against like mono blue spirits and like red blue control. But it, you know, it struggles if your deck is like just playing interactive spells. It just can't beat decks that play like, like blue black. It can't even beat really like just decks that play fatal push are just so good against it. So I don't like playing all index like that, where I'm just like hoping to win the matchup role. I'm trying to see if we can keep some of the disruptive elements of that, but still keep enough value, right? Because we we love value on this podcast to still like interact with mid-range decks. All right, so that is a blue-white hate bears. Last deck here is red-white. Actually, Mardu, I guess. We can call it Mardu. I see some black activation costs in here. There's some black <laughs> activation costs. There's no black spells. But it's a very different style. This is very aggressive, right? And we don't do that very yes. often. Correct. And the reason we don't, by the way, is not because we're not, we don't like aggro decks. It's because the brewing space for aggro decks is a little more obvious because every individual card has to be very powerful and be exactly on the same plan. So that's, that's why we don't really spend a lot of time with that. There's not a lot of brewing. Like we know what the best, the most power you can get on one mana is <laughs> It's kind of solved, right? Um, 
in the same way we don't brew a lot of like hard control decks because it's the same kind of five mana six mana planeswalker it's the the counter spells are known etc right so what changed your mind i mean what <laughs> what inspires you to like dang it i'm gonna brew an aggro deck today and it's gonna have combat threshers yeah so the thing that really struck out to me is transmogrant's crown now this is a card that we you would say facetiously i would say legitimately <laughs> uh claimed was a fixed skull clamp when it was spoiled <laughs> so this is a two mana artifact and it equips for two colorless mana or a black mana and target creature gets plus two plus oh and when it dies you draw a card so to me this card just seems insane insanely powerful like everyone just kind of dismissed it and i was like all right maybe i'm just missing the boat here but i was like somebody will play around with this card and it just never showed up any 5-0 list and no one talked about it. No one talked about it during spoiler season. So it's like, okay, I guess it's up to us. Now this becomes a Brewer's card if it's not obviously powerful to anybody else. I think the reason that I can't compute that Skullclamp comparison is because Skullclamp is so obscenely powerful at drawing cards that I see Transmogrin's Crown and I see like a fixed Bone Splitter, which doesn't excite me as much. <laughs> sure, okay. Well, it's an improved Bone Splitter. Right. Well, the, the problem was it didn't draw cards. So now, now that Bone Splitter yeah. draws cards, you can maybe put it in. But. So, yeah. So what we have is four Transmogrin's Crown. And then the, the, the thing that makes that interesting with Combat Thresher is because Combat Thresher, as a double strike creature that we just talked about, really does well with power buffing abilities, right? So if we're, if we're crewing it up for a black, now we're making a 3-1 double strike without having to flip it over. That's very powerful. I'm, I'm also very interested in its interaction with Fervent Champion. It crews for free to Fervent Champion, which is also First Strike. So you could go turn one, Fervent Champion, turn two, crown, crew it for free, attack for three. So your opponent is taking four damage. And if they kill it, we draw a card. It replaces itself. And then if we draw another, every champion we draw, we can always crew for free. So it always can get in. And then we just have a bunch of other effects that are relatively aggressive that interact well. So we have Toolcraft Exemplar. Obviously, that does well if we're playing a bunch of artifacts. I've listed a bunch of artifacts. We're playing Ingenious Smith. That is a card that is a value card, but also is going to grow every turn. We've got a bunch of artifacts. We have Lizard Blades. That's a two-mana equipment. That's a two-mana 1-1. One, one. And again, much like any other double strike creature, it does very well with power boosting effects like from Transmogrant's Crown. We have four Rabbit Battery as you know, just a hasty one drop. And then again, because we have all these double strike effects and then granting haste to Combat Thresher, etc. cetera. Uh, and then we just have a few, you know, random fill-ins. We've got a one of Shadow Spear. We have a couple Patchwork Automatons, one SRAM. That might be too valuey because we have so many uh, equipments. One of Scrap Heap Scrounger, and then a one of Maul of the Skyclaves. Again, just a great card to dump on one of our uh, Double Strikers, take it to the sky, do the last points of damage, and a one of Shrapnel Blast. This is a very cool construction. I like the Rabbit Batteries in particular. This is 1-1 one, one Haste. Reconfigure for a single red, the equipped creature, when you reconfigure it, gets plus one, plus one in Haste. So you can imagine having a Rabbit Battery, it got a point or two of damage in, Maybe you found it for free off the Ingenious Smith, and then later in the game you can play your Combat Thresher, reconfigure the rabbit onto it, and now it's attacking as a four-power creature, essentially, with haste. That's very cool. Lizard Blades, I feel like this card has, has not performed. You know, we haven't tested it much, but I know a lot of people thought it might be 
you know, like an on rate creature, but I think it's been a little bit worse than people expected because it doesn't add any power when you equip it. Yeah. So like lizard blades in theory is the card getting equipped too, right? So Mm -hmm. that's picking up the crown. That's picking up the rabbit battery. Right. Right. So that's the thought process there. It's like extra copies of combat thresher in a way. (laughs) A one, one double strike. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. And it can double strike your toolcraft exemplar or something, right? If you need to. The other thing is all these cards also insulate you from wrath effects, right? So we didn't just crew up our combat thresher and get in for four. They cast anger of the gods and exile our combat thresher. Rabbit battery comes back into play and then, or lizard blades or whatever. And then if we play another creature, right? We haste up the new creature after the sweeper was played, like the, the classic anti-control strategy. Whatever happened to that Mind Link mech deck? That deck was sweet. Like, <laughs> maybe Combat Thresher is the card to make that Mind Link mech finally work. You know, I think we tried it with Lizard Blades, and it just like didn't have enough juice. Yeah, we could do that. I could. Let's pull. Let's pull that up here. <laughs> I will attach it if for the people who get to see the notes. I will be adding this deck, <laughs> the Mind Link mech deck, and you can imagine where Thresher goes in here. I like that. That's not this deck, but it might be a much better deck. Three mana, four, three flying vehicle with crew one. When you crew, the Mindlick mech becomes a copy of the thing that crewed is. So you crew it yes. with a haste creature. Now your Mindlick mech has haste. You crew it with a double strike creature. Now you're attacking for four in the air with double strike. There's a very cute line you can do with the giant that doubles all combat damage from giants. <laughs> and with two of those in play, you actually hit for 16 on turn four. Um, it's Calamity Bearer. Yes. That's a fun card, but Mind League Mech is so unique that I think it, it was just like asking Mind League Mech to do too much. I think that's what I felt when I tested that deck. Yeah, and I never liked the the giant combo part of it. I, I liked the idea of like you just have this base aggro shell underneath it, and then this is just an okay thing to do on three. But maybe maybe that's the wrong way to think about it. But I liked having hasty creatures. And if you have Fervent Champion and Rabbit Battery, now we have eight hasty creatures that can crew it, um, which that's very attractive to me. So the mana here, I mean, you're red-white. You, you have these Transmogrin's Crowns, which you don't technically need black for. Um, I guess you have one Scrap Heap Scounder. But, but we do want black. I think this card is only powerful if you can crew it for one. Crewing, I mean, obviously, crewing it for two is nice. It's better than not having the ability. Okay. But if you just if this did not have the black thing and you just had to either find a way to cheat the crewing or only tap two, then I don't think it'd be playable. So you can see I'm playing a lot of black. Yeah, it looks like um, nine lands that straight up produce black plus two Spire of Industry for 13 total black sources out of 23. Spire of Industry always taps for black if you have a crown in play. True. So it's, it's functionally a black a source for crown. And if not, then, you know, it's a, it's a whatever, colorless. Yeah, so 13 black. So that means by turn three, we are very likely to have a black source in play. The, the trade-off is we take a little bit more damage from our lands than we normally would, but we're an aggro deck that's trying to race. So I'm fine with that. Okay. So, between our two most recent artifact sets, that is Brothers War and Neon Dynasty, we have this little team-up going here of the equipment creatures and the prototypes. Who knows if this is good? But, yeah, I mean, fix Skull Clamp. we got to play it somewhere, and this makes a lot of sense. 
So those are five concepts right off the bat for Combat Thresher in Pioneer. Brilliant job, David, as always. For the modern fans, we did identify Combat Thresher in our preview episodes as a card that might be good enough in modern, just because it's a more blink-friendly format. As we test this card this week, you know, if if Mord gets to play something, I'm I'm pretty sure he'll play some kind of blink modern deck. <laughs> just a hunch. I, don't, I haven't talked to him about it yet, but just like going to go out on a limb and suggest he might test that. So we'll see what he comes up with there. I did check to see if anyone had previously succeeded with Combat Thresher in Modern, and there has been one 5-0 list. It takes some of the synergies that, David, you just mentioned right at the top, right? The white cards in in Modern that deal with artifacts. So Ingenious Smith, Stoneforge Mystic, Esper Sentinel, four copies of Combat Thresher. So you're going to cast this for three here. You're not cheating this into play at all. You're just paying three, getting your 1-1 double strike, drawing a card. But you do have the Ephemerates, so you have that line now where you can Ephemerate your Ingenious Smith, get another card. Ephemerate your Stoneforge Mystic, get another Equipment. Ephemerate your Combat Thresher and just draw cards. And you have the four Solitudes, because we have to play some MH2 cards. So we have the Sentinels and the Solitudes (laughs) and four Urza Saga, so everything's taken care of there. You have an Equipment Package. I think most often you'll be getting the Nettlesist, if you feel like the... Stoneforge Mystic is likely to survive. You can get Cauldre Complete, and there's also a Shadow Spear for the Urza Saga to find. It's listed as like mono-white affinity in, in Goldfish, but it's really not affinity at all, right? It's just mono-white Stoneforge that happens to play artifacts. The thing I would point out, though, is like we keep talking about, oh, you blink Thresher, it's value. Like it also becomes a crazy threat. Like right. that, that is that's worth noting. Like, when you blink it, you're not just, oh, it's not like another card that you're blinking. Like, oh, I blinked my channel or I drew a card. Okay, it's like, I blink this, I'm threatening six damage next turn. It's an insane amount of damage. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, you'll see this happen with Fury in what what is sometimes called Rakdos Scam or Rakdos Undying. A deck that just took a while to like really find its footing. You know, I think people were initially focused on grief as, like, the thing. you like, gotta get the grief. Gotta make sure that happens quickly. And you could put that in white-black. You could put that in black-red. A 3-2 minutes on turn one still takes a while to end the game. So like it, it was possible to actually come back from the turn one grief. But sometimes it's not turn one grief. Sometimes it's, like, sometimes it's turn one fury or turn two fury. And that ends the game very, very quickly. Yeah, especially if it has a plus one, plus one counter, right? Exactly. So Combat Thresher... Same deal, right? 3-3 double strike will actually kill you pretty fast, and if it's wearing a nettle cyst, you might die in one hit. So that's just one place where you you could put the Combat Thresher skills to use. I'm not sure if this would be like one of the stronger cards in the deck or one of just the filler cards. Uh, We have to test it and see. Unfortunately, it does not actually pitch to Solitude because it is technically colorless, but there's plenty of white stuff in here that one could pitch. Oh yeah, I think of it as a white card, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't count in that sense. <laughs> right. All right. So I think we will leave it there for now for Combat Thresher. A bunch of concepts to explore. We'll test them this week. We'll let you know how that all turned out. Speaking of which, uh, to conclude today, we did get some leagues in with last week's card, which was Third Path Iconoclast. David, you'd drawn up four different concepts in Pioneer? Yes. Curious which one you like best, which one you started with. The one I like best had Galazeth in it. This card is really sweet. You and I really liked it. It felt like nobody else ever adopted it. And 
I don't know. I just I feel like it's a big blind spot for the the community. Like Galzeth is super super powerful. Now the list I proposed had some gaps, and you were nice enough to point them out. One of the things you pointed out is you know you got a lot of planeswalkers on four, and you were like, look, trust me, I've played these shells. You kind of invented that super cool like blue red Drake's shell that you qualled with. You got to have more ways to keep turning through your deck, right? We want to keep triggering this third uh, path iconoclast. So. I ended up settling on replacing the four mana Planeswalkers and the big scores, because that card has just disappointed me constantly, with pieces of the puzzle. Mm. In theory, it's a card that, A, it triggers third path. It also, in theory, finds two more spells that trigger third path. And um, because I had the four pieces that I wanted, one more delve spell. So I wanted the I wanted five. So I kept the four treasure crews and added a temporal trespass. Um, and I cut a uh, All Runs Epiphany for that. So I basically ran the shells proposed uh, with those changes. Yeah, and I feel like between Ops Consider, Treasure Cruise, and now Pieces of the Puzzle, you, you've reached the threshold to have like a bona fide spells deck that just keeps churning and never really runs out. Or if you if you do run out, you're just one pieces away from getting everything started again. Prior to Expressive Iteration being banned, you could do the same thing with Iteration. That's why I did in the Drake's deck. But and we, we've seen this basic card draw package like in Phoenix, for example, and, and that includes the Galvanic Iterations, which you've also added here. Yeah, I think I had one in the proposed shell. I just put the second one in again because if we have Temporal Trespass as an option or pieces of puzzle, we have like cheap spells that at five mana, it's very reasonable for us to be able to copy. Um, I also replaced two Voltage Surges with two Fiery Impulses. Again, that's just... Uh, a little bit of respect for um, Grease Fang. So yeah, took it through a league and went very well. I uh, beat Blue Red 8 Pyromancers, which is, like we said, level one, uh, the proposed list. So to play that game one, 2-0, very, very easy victory. I will say, I think maybe my opponent was a little inexperienced or something. Had I been playing you or one of the many excellent players in our Discord, I would have... I think still won, but it would have been much closer, both of the games. Um, so it this match was a whitewash, but I think maybe a more experienced player, it would have been very close. But I, I felt like I was favored. Again, Galazeth is like our second mana cheat, right? So Delve is a way to cheat mana. That's why it's banned in Modern. Galazeth is another way that dodges all the graveyard hate, that allows all our artifacts to make all this mana for us. And it's hard to play cards that interact with both, right? A lot of the... Cards that red decks play do three damage. So Galazeth comes into play is a full-on two-for-one if we don't get to spell pierce or counter or interact with our second burn spell. If we do that, then it's a, you know, three-for-one or some crazy thing. And then it ramps. Like, it just leaves a treasure in play, which helps us do other stuff uh, or, or can be used in our next uh, Galazeth. Play green-white angels. I took a, uh, a picture kind of uh, taunting Dan and um, <laughs> Mord because they were complaining about wind conditions. So I just let my opponent get up to 52 and then just freaking rinsed them. Two attacks in a row. You can take a look at the screenshot. I don't know. I have like 40 creatures in play. <laughs> we don't need wind conditions. Third path is the wind condition. It just takes some turns. It's The game's over. <laughs> um, again, this is the classic. This would be hard for normal mono red to interact with. But we go way over the top because we have this extra package uh, with Galazeth just generating all this mana. They don't interact easily with Galazeth because they're doing their own angel thing. And Galazeth turns these 30 creatures into a zillion mana and then we fly through our deck. Then beat uh, Mono Green. Again, that was 
like like I said, the I think on turn four, uh, we were on the play with a very good draw, but nothing interactive, and they they spent like fifty mana and killed me. Uh, and then just one game two and three by you know finding some interaction, and then lost to Jun Transmogrify. I think I played very poorly, and then beat uh, Abzan Greasefang. Our deck just lines up very well against it. So yeah, the list felt very well, very good. The only card I really ended up disliking a lot. Uh, was a card that's near and dear to Dan in my heart. We always try to put it in there. The one of Mox Amber was miserable. Um, my updated list, I was just playing an extra uh, Spike Field Hazard. So just a little bit more interaction for whatever, other Pyromancers, other turn one mana elf, and just another land. Um, just wanted a little bit more consistent land drops. Uh, so don't play the Mox Amber, for sure. Uh, it was really bad. I was also thinking, like, do I want the second Sahili? And but the sideboard felt good. So in, in in general, the list felt very good. I, I don't know that I would change that many cards, but I would 100% cut the Mox Amber. You could play any number of lands. You could play another uh, Saluni Vision even if you wanted. Damn, I wish I'd asked you about this before I played this deck. <laughs> yeah, should have done, man. I, I I I normally update the list after I'm done playing it. I think about it, and but you had said before, like you should post a list that you played, so they were not like referencing cards that weren't there or not. Nah, it's a waste on my own petard, because, yeah, I, I just took the list that you played. Yeah, and I saw your notes, and I was like, oh, man, if you just asked me, I said, dude, don't play that Mox Amber. I, I should have taken some screenshots where I have, like, third path iconoclast, Mox Amber triggers it, and then I just can't cast any of my four drops because it's not land. It's like, son of a... Like, my results, or my notes, were just, like, the same conclusions as you. I just, I freaking hated the Mox Amber. I hated the Spring Leaf Drone. The second Sahili was iffy for me, I would cut that, too. I was just, like, needed to hit land drops. My league was a 3-2, and the two losses, uh, both against more aggressive decks, were just, or sorry, one against Mono White, I should say, and once against, is it Phoenix? It just came down to land drops. Like, missing a land was, I just couldn't come back from that. And even against Blue-White Control, where I played that the first two rounds, lost game one both times, which, you know, was just like, just a question of having, like, I had, like, four dead cards and they had zero. What were the dead cards? Mox Hammer, Spring Leaf Drum, <laughs> Voltage Surge, and Fire Impulse. Uh, but once I got those out, you know, I was just running circles around them because the way you set up the, the late game here with not just Galvanic into Temporal Trespass, like Phoenix can do that, but can Phoenix do Galvanic Iteration into All Runs Epiphany? Mono White will never come back from that. <laughs> so once I just made those swaps, I was able to handily defeat the blue-white players in the post-board games. Um, and then same result against Grease Fang, 2-0 in my favor. So a 3-2, like, yeah, I think that if we can just address the land drops issue, that will smooth out some of the bumpiness. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, we don't need to go too deep into this. The one thing about Springleaf Drum is it allows for, like, super, super nutty early draws. Because if you play Springleaf Drum on one, then... Third pass Iconoclast on two automatically gets to cast any of your one drops. And that came up for me a bunch. Like being able to leave up, like being able to do that and then shock their elf um, just puts me so far ahead tempo wise. And then you get to cast Galzeth on three. Um, I know what you're saying, Dan, about it being air and it's only good. So like if you cut the second Sahili, you for sure have to cut the drum because I don't think you have enough creatures. But like th those openings mattered to me a few times. I played a lot more aggro decks than you did. So th that's just something to note. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. Maybe it is right to cut it. Maybe it is right to cut the second Sahili. Um, but it, it, it ended up mattering multiple times. Like they would play Pyromancer and then I would play my my Pyromancer and shock their Pyromancer and get a 1-1. And then I'm like, 
infinitely ahead because I can play Galzeth the next turn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, my sample size is not huge, but on the flip side, if you ever draw a drum and you don't have a land drop, you will just rip the drum in half and then go back through your collection and burn <laughs> the rest of your Springleaf drums. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Like, this this could have just been a real land. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I was playing a lot of, like, controlling matchups or matchups where I just need to hit land drop, land drop, land drop. Yeah, and like, you know, again, I was boarding out the Sahili a lot, right? So, at least one Sahili. So if you're doing that, then maybe you have to not have the drum, then maybe the drum isn't worth it. So it's worth thinking about, but I'm just saying... The, the counter case is that I had, I think, two or three games where Springleaf Drum was part of, like, an incredible nut draw. Because if you ever go drum into Iconoclast, any disruption piece, I think I even had a Spell Pierce one time, like Spell Pierce or Kiora, then play Galzeth. Like, the game is over. It, they, you cannot lose. Um, but, yeah, then against Control, it's, it's dead-ish, and that's really tough. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Huh. But yeah, promising results, and Galazeth continues to impress. Underrated card, but it's it's not just Galazeth by itself, right? It, it was Galazeth plus all the extra tokens from the third path. Like, yes, third path was very good. Like it didn't have to survive. Like you could win with your just late game Elrond's plan if it came down to it. But you could also just get way ahead. Uh, they don't even realize that those one ones are going to become a big deal in a few turns when Galazeth lands. So. Uh, that, that was a very cool construction. Also, Sahili use one of the third path tokens to copy third path and then cast spells. I see you had it on your screen here. Oh, yeah. It's so sweet. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, they're doing okay. It's like, all right, make six of them or whatever. I didn't realize that Galazeth made the artifacts tap. So I thought you could be able to tap them all the same turn like you do with Urza. So that was actually kind of a bummer. I mean, it didn't end up mattering that much. but Oh, because the soldiers are summoning sick. So they can't tap you. Yeah, I was imagining just like going off. Man. Why aren't Urza decks doing this? <laughs> Is it just, it's modern, but. Because I was thinking I'd just like do it all the same turn. Like I was, go, I'd go up mana almost in my mind. Hmm. Okay. That's something to think about. Because we weren't casting that many red spells. They're all just blue spells. <laughs> anyway. The first time I did it, I was like, oh, I guess next turn I have to kill them. Like, all right, hopefully Galzeth doesn't die. And it. Like, mono green, like, they get boat, resolve boat, kill third path. It's like, I have four one ones in play. This game is over. There's no way I'm losing. I, uh, all runs Epiphany and copied it through frickin' God Pharaoh's <laughs> Just left it in play for a couple turns and then spent 16 mana or whatever and just combo killed them. Like, all right, my turn. Oh, the, the statue that makes everything cost two? Yeah, they had the statue in play and I wow. <laughs> flashed back from the graveyard the copy spell and then cast all runs Epiphany. So I did test one other list, and this was the fourth of the four in your kind of progressive exploration of third path generating artifact tokens. This was the one where we're, we're trying to load up on effects that trigger on artifacts being cast. So not just third path, not just the Healy, but also Psy Master Thopterist, but also Herkel, the new one from Brothers War. And you'd even suggested putting Etherflux Reservoir in. I, I meant to put this main deck, but I think I accidentally moved something around and ended up with two in the sideboard by mistake. There was supposed to be one main deck. But the idea is, okay, all these cards trigger off artifacts being cast, and we can play plenty of crappy artifacts, Springleaf's Drum, Mox Amber, Moonstar Prototype, and Mishra's Research Desk even. Play them all once, we've kind of shot our load, got a few tokens, whatever. But what if we pick them all back up? 
with paradoxal outcome and do it all again and draw some cards for our efforts. So it's four paradoxal outcome in addition to all these creatures I just mentioned that trigger off the artifacts being cast. Four Emery plus some voltage surge uh, for interaction. I tweaked like one or two cards from the list. Yeah, I see a Drafna on here. All right. I like it. Yeah, Drafna, um, which again can pick up Mox Ambers at a cost of one mana per cycle. Reality Chip I found to be like a, a nice bridge card when these in these Mox Amber Emery decks because it does turn on the Amber and it gives you like another way to access extra cards if it comes to it. The mistake that I made in like tuning and tweaking and moving stuff around, the mistake I made was I forgot to actually check before I joined the league, like, can I actually kill anyone? And if I checked, I would have seen that there's only like seven or eight cards in the entire 60 that are even capable of dealing 20 <laughs> damage. <laughs> like, if they just kill the third path iconoclast and the Psy or whatever, like, how am I actually killing them? Like, Her- Herkel was very cool. I actually really liked Herkel a lot. Um, but Herkel is just a 2-4 that doesn't kill them. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. That was the most speculative card, I thought. So that's that's somewhat encouraging, despite the poor results of the league. Yeah, Her- Herkel was extremely good. Well, the card I thought was going to be the best card was Mishra's Research Desk. I spent a lot of quality time with the Research Desk in this league, just like spinning through it because I had nothing else to do, discovering that I put too much error in the list. <laughs> so, so it wasn't like... The research desk was not bad. Like it is pretty close to a draw four discard two. Uh, like Mord and I were talking about, I don't think we realized during our preview season that you actually get two turns to use the spell. So it's like pretty close to a free draw. Like that, that never, the timing was never an issue. It was just a question of I, in this build, I wasn't really drawing to enough powerful things. So this list just came up short. I mean, I, I think I won the first match against Lotus Fields and then I, a series of increasingly hopeless losses against other stuff where they just killed my win conditions or I just couldn't find them early enough. Um, I just couldn't keep up. I lost to two blue-white control decks. I lost to Rakdos midrange and I got uh, run over by Thalia in mono-white. So I think the numbers were just like a little bit askew, but I did notice in the 5-0s from this week that a similar concept had 5-0, and when I checked like how they'd built it, so they had third path, they had three size, so they weren't playing Sahili, they weren't playing Herkel. So they had the seven cards that make the tokens, they had the Emery's, but they'd shifted the numbers, they were playing four reverse engineer, two paradoxical outcome. So there, I mean, Reverse Engineer is a much more solid card. Like, I had a couple sad paradoxical outcomes that only drew one or two cards. (laughs) Reverse Engineer never has that problem. On the other hand, it doesn't pick up your artifacts again. It doesn't aim as high, but it's going to see you through. Now, how how does this other deck, this is by Arbitrary Armor, how does this deck actually win? Well, they've got Paradox Engine in the list. And I think that's the part that maybe I should have included something like that, because... In my league, I had a bunch of turns like looking for something that could win, but there was nothing in the deck that could actually just claw it back from a from a position where I was behind. This deck with Paradox Engine, I think, could actually come back from a tough position. Yeah, Paradox Engine with gear per other grid is really interesting. I don't think we've seen that before. I guess we didn't have cards that just spit out so many artifacts before. Yes. But yeah, that's it's just a it's just a really clean way to win with all your third path iconoclast tokens. They even play one Forsaken Monument, which I don't agree with. But the Paradox Engine Ether Grid thing seems really interesting to me. Yeah, I forgot to mention this three Gear Upper Ether Grid's main deck. So that's a big surprise, right? When was the last time you saw that main deck? 
Yeah. I mean, of course, that makes me want to play some Sahilis or something. But yeah, I, I love the I love some of the things that they're doing in this list that we weren't doing, right? Like, I thought about reverse engineer as just a generic draw, but yeah, th- I, there, there's lots of ideas here. They're less focused on like, okay, I have to maximize the iconoclast and trigger it. It's just like um, they have to get some artifacts in play, one way or another. But here, because of the paradox engine, the Emery itself becomes a threat in a way that it just wasn't for me. Like in my list, Emery just build my win conditions and <laughs> recast the Moonstar prototype. It wasn't very good. But here it's like, yeah, you, you could actually kill someone with Emery and Paradox Engine. So interesting twist on the concept. Yeah, and they basically, maybe I should just get used to doing this. I mean, they're, they're not even playing ways to interact. They can't kill a single creature. So they're just like, if you play Mana Elf into Karn, they, they're fine with that. Um, I was trying to at least like <laughs> keep the out to do to interact with that, but again, part of that was because I wanted to have enough instance that, um, in theory, our dude could go find paradoxical outcome for us. So hmm. yeah, the fact that you said Herkel was kind of good makes you want to like build more Herkel lists. Yeah, Her- Herkel was very good, and it didn't even have to be for artifacts. Like I got. A couple times where I got artifact and instant in the same turn and drew two cards off Herkel. So, you know. Yeah, and like what if you loaded up like all a lot of your land slots with MDFCs? So like Herkel, there's like six instants to find, and maybe like one of the blue and one of the red sorceries, and then like Herkel could just be, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So ideas to explore. Definitely haven't seen a last of Third Path Iconoclast or the Artifact Space. I mean, there's so many cool artifacts from Brothers War that a lot of different directions you could go. Excited to try more Herkel. I mean, Drafna wasn't great, but I'm like thinking about Drafna lists as well. <laughs> we'll see. But I, I think the main takeaway, the main takeaway we had though is like Third Eye is way better than Young Pyromancer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Like no, noticeably superior, right? So that was the big takeaway. Like even just Sahili triggering it, like, that mattered a lot. Like, you just had a random extra blocker for your Sahili. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for this episode. Yeah, until next time. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time as we crack open the Brewer's Mailbag and answer your questions about Modern and Pioneer. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.